How's it going, folks? How's it going? I'm Brother Matthew, and this is Christian Coffee Time, where we sit down together to study the Word of God. And here we are back at it again, working our way through the book of Titus. So please grab your Bibles, notepads, and pens. Grab your tea, grab your coffee. Come join us at the table as we turn to the book of Titus. And we are down to chapter 2 and verse 11. So Titus chapter 2, verse 11. And again, if you have any comments, questions, issues, insights regarding the study at hand, please, by all means, go ahead, ask away. Be glad to hear from you. If it's not related to the topic at hand, if you could just hold that to the end of the study or to our next broadcast, as we want to try to limit our rabbit trailing as much as we can. And uh, yeah, so grab your tea, grab your coffee, grab your snacks, whatever it is you're having. Come join us at the table. And turn to Titus chapter 2, verse 11. And today we're going to be talking about the grace of God. We're going to be talking about the grace of God that brings salvation. We're going to be going into this and taking a look at some uh, differing thoughts and ideas that some people have regarding this. And see, what does the Bible actually have to say on this? And uh, I'm sure this is going to be an interesting study for some. And... Uh, as always, if you appreciate these studies, please give this a like as a thumbs up. Make sure you subscribe, hit notification bell icon so you know we put up new videos and check out all our other videos. We've got tons of other goodies and content as well as on our website, christiancoffeetime.ca. We have free downloadable gospel track PDFs and e-tracks and links to all our other platforms and accounts and all that stuff. Alrighty, but meanwhile... We're going to be working our way through here. And if you want to know more regarding uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ and uh, the power of his grace and uh, what uh, he did for us and how he holds us and how it's once saved, always saved, as the word of God teaches, because salvation is not by works. If you want to know more about that, we have a whole playlist on that on the gospel and eternal security. Please make sure you check that playlist out. Go into great detail on sanctification, justification, and all the rest of it, the atonement uh, of Christ, and so much more. So I hope that uh, yeah, you'll arm yourself with this and go and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you. Alrighty. So with that, we're going to get going here in Titus chapter 2. And uh, we worked our way down to verse 11. We need to back up just a little bit is to, to build up some of the context again we see in verse 7 so titus chapter 2 starting at verse 7 in all things showing thyself a pattern of good works in doctrine showing uncorruptness gravity sincerity sound speech that cannot be condemned that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed having no evil thing to say of you Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters, and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. For, because of this, for the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men. So we see an importance here, talking about these things, the pattern of good works, soundness in doctrine, as we talked about the good works is the doctrine, the teachings, the ways of the Lord. And showing a pattern of what? The, the pattern of Christ-likeness. Now, 
what it what shows more the pattern of Christ likeness than the grace of Jesus Christ the grace of Jesus Christ the grace of God that brings salvation now as I mentioned this I talked about this that the the foundation of our faith the foundation of all things the foundation of born-again Christianity is grace and you will note that this doctrine of grace is the number one primary target that is attacked by every single other belief system in the entire world even from many so-called professed christians who deny grace alone that they try to bring in works and righteous works that grace alone is not sufficient that we're not saved by grace alone and and they say all kinds of nonsense and bring up all kinds of arguments and things and they try to defile the doctrine of grace they say it's grace plus works faith plus works no no i'm sorry the word of god does not teach it it says that if that if uh, that if works are involved then grace is no more grace and so we understand that grace is the unmerited favor of god that i didn't merit it i didn't earn it it's not a reward i don't deserve it but he gave it to me anyways because he so loved me by faith which is believing trust faith is believing trust faith is not works faith is not faithfulness faith is believing trust that as it says in hebrews that faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen so it's not something that is of me that i can do but rather it's belief of the heart so by unmerited favor by believing faith believing trust are you saved not of yourselves so we see the grace of God that brings salvation. So it's not even of our deeds, of our works. It's nothing that we could do. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, not by works, not of yourselves, the gift of God. Titus 3, 5, not by righteous works, but it is the washing of regeneration, renewing of the Holy Ghost, not even my dunking in water, not any righteous works that we could do, religiosity, churchianity. It's by grace of God, not by works of the law galatians 2 16 for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified so we've gone over this so many times and yet again the apostle paul hammers on this point again to help us to understand this is what we are to show a pattern of this is the good works that we are to show we show christ we demonstrate jesus christ we promote jesus christ not ourselves and that we can't earn anything for we are all fallen away we're all become corrupt there's none that do with good no not one for all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags i have no goodness in me of my own neither do you that we we are all fallen away we are all corrupt there's no good in us it's his goodness that that is given to me it's his goodness that is given to me. First Corinthians chapter one, verse 30. He is my sanctification. He is my righteousness. He is my wisdom. He is my knowledge. He's my everything. He is my justification. I can't justify myself. <laughs> what kind of deluded nonsense is it to think that I can justify myself before God? Really, you have, just think about this and just for a moment, folks. Let's just go into this. For all of the those who think that faith alone is insufficient, that you have to do something else. Really, okay, let's just look at that one for a moment. Are you really, really saying 
that you are able to work, maintain, attain something by your own by your own goodness and righteousness that is equal to the righteousness of Jesus Christ to earn your salvation? Are you honestly really saying that? Are you really that deluded that you think that, that you can elevate yourself to be equal with Christ in earning your salvation by works? Really? That, that is absolute absurdity. But in looking at this, we've gone over this so many times. We've explored this. Uh, but uh, the one main thing that we must keep coming back to is understanding what grace is. Grace. Biblical grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The grace of God according to the word of God that we see. Really, when we simplify the understanding of it, the grace of God, the grace of Jesus Christ is absence of self. Absence of me. Is nothing of me. That uh, as uh, Pastor Paul put it the one time, as I've, uh, I keep uh, quoting him, is that we see that salvation is a covenant, not a contract. Salvation is a covenant, not a contract. If salvation was faith plus works, then salvation is a contract. That it's the, the faith in what Christ did plus my works to earn salvation. Salvation is a contract. But Jesus said, it's a covenant. And it's a covenant which is a covenant of one, of the promise, of the vow, the oath of God that he will save us if we believe. We believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all his work. It's all his righteousness. It's all his grace. It's all his atonement. It's all his sanctifying of us. We don't sanctify ourselves. He does. He holds. He washes. He cleanses. He seals. He holds. It's all of him. And he says that he will hold us unto the day of redemption. Day we go to be at the Lord and death or the second coming of Christ. As it's all of him. That is grace. You see, covenant. If salvation's a covenant, then it's by grace. If salvation is faith plus works, then it's a contract. And thus a false gospel. It's a false gospel. It, it, we must understand this aspect. We must be able to wrap our minds around, around just the simplicity that I cannot affect my salvation by my deeds by my fruit bearing by my maintenance by my earning or anything it's not of me it's not of me it's all of him it's not of me it's all of him now we've gone over this so many times and uh it's something that we should always keep desiring to want to go over again and again we should never ever ever grow tired of talking about the gospel of jesus christ and his saving grace of his great mercy because the moment that you grow tired of hearing this story of hearing this doctrine of hearing this goodness and greatness of god there's something wrong with you in your heart the moment you grow tired of it there's something wrong with you in your heart so just something to consider that now but what i want to do today is not so much as go over this aspect but what I want to talk about is the defiling of grace 
not by how other false religions do it by adding on works what i want to talk about is the grace of god that brings salvation and how this is how this is infringed upon and twisted and presented falsely where they take the biblical gospel where they take the grace of god they take what we believe in but they present it falsely they twist the grace of god they twist the story of christ and they corrupt it and they abuse it and it's nigh blasphemy it's nigh blasphemy and what is this what i'm going to be talking about today and i have gone over this before it's been a little while but because apostle paul mentioned it in titus 2 11 for the grace of god that bring the salvation hath appeared to all men he said it so therefore this is a part we're just going through it this happens to be what the topic is today we might as well review it and what i'm talking about is the absolute blasphemous heresy that is of the of the doctrine the false doctrine of limited atonement absolute blasphemous heresy and if that offends you me saying that then you don't know the gospel all right there's some stuff i want to present in this now as we take a look in the word of god god does not lie god cannot lie god is not the author of confusion god will never contradict himself and he's always very clear very concise in what he says we confuse we frustrate we abuse we manipulate not him what the lord says is abundantly clear when we take the word of god and the word of god alone you see the problem that comes in is when certain individuals come to the bible and they take the word of God and they say, well, sure, you take the Bible says to read it, but you need all of our books and materials to tell you what it means. And so they give you this plethora of other writings, other authors, other books, other materials to, to tell you what this says. Instead of telling you to be like a Berean and go search it out yourself, they say, no, 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 we will tell you what it means. People say, well, isn't that what you're doing? No. Because how many times have I told you to not take my word for it, to go search it out for yourself, to hold me accountable, to do the study yourself, for you to be a Berean. You take everything that I'm saying, go look it up, go do the research, go see it for yourself. Don't just take my word for it. I am not the interpreter of the word of God. The Holy Spirit is. There isn't a single individual who stands in a pulpit who is the interpreter of the word of God. All they do is, is presenting the case, but we are supposed to be like the Bereans and hold the Apostle Paul uh, accountable. Where they knew who he was. An apostle of Jesus Christ, founder of churches, and a great witness and evangelist and teacher of the scriptures, but they held him accountable. 
They took everything that Apostle Paul said and held it out and, and uh, uh, sprinkled a little salt there. And they took it and studied out and searched the scriptures to see if these things were so. We're supposed to do this. John Calvin, Augustine, and all the rest of them, John Owen, or whoever else they are, are not the interpreters of scripture. And if they contradict the word of God even remotely, then they're wrong. The word of God is true. Right? Right? That's how it should be. And if you can't say right to that, then <laughs> that shows where you stand. But as you see, the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Now, you want to take a look at what really scares Calvinists. Is when you actually start to get biblical. When you take the words of scripture, like John 3.16, For God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So certain words in the word of God that what the Calvinist, uh, what Calvinism does. Now please understand I'm not against Calvinists. I'm against Calvinism. And no, I'm not an Armenian. You do realize you don't have to be one of the two camps. I'm in neither camp. I believe the Bible. But I'll get into this. I'll be explaining it. But as you see that the doctrine of hyper-Calvinism, as we see, is that, that they take certain words of the Bible and they redefine them. They give them new meanings. That all doesn't mean all, world does not mean world, whosoever does not mean whosoever, and on and on. They literally redefine. It's called linguistic theft. It's called linguistic theft is what... Uh, the, the model of Calvinism does. Linguistic theft. They take certain words and redefine them to fit the ideologies of these so-called individuals that they look up to like apostles. And that if you dare say a word against these men, it's like equivalent to slapping Apostle Paul. And so they get all offended and they get all mad because you dared speak against their holy prophet. <clears throat> but as we see, what does the word of God say, when we come to scripture, what does all mean? Whosoever, world, any. But in in the mind, in the mind of the Calvinist, as we see, for example, in uh, the Calvinist 316, for God so loved the elect that he gave his only son, so whosoever he chose not to perish but have eternal life will believe, for God sent his son to condemn the world where they literally redefine it because how limited atonement works and simply stated what they teach is that when Jesus is on the cross, he limited his work. He, he limited his shedding of blood that he only died for. He specifically, purposely, only atoned for a special select chosen elect. He did not atone for the whole world like the Bible says. So it comes what it comes down to, like conversations with the idea of the Calvinist Jesus. Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Nothing. I've assigned you to hell. That is literally what it comes down to. Limited atonement doctrine of Calvinism is that Jesus specifically restricted his atoning work and only made it available for a special select chosen elect. Eeny, meeny, miny, mo, to which place shall you go? Okay, I'm only going to save you, 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 and the rest of you go burn in hell. I don't care who you are, what you are. So... 
it, it doesn't make sense. It, I don't understand how they can do this, but it, it is a deliberate, deliberate twisting of the word of God. It's a deliberate twisting. Where, really, take take the ideology just for a moment of the limited atonement, unconditional election view. A totally depraved theology. I'm sorry, little Sally. I've predestined you to hell. I've I've already predestined you and your mother and your father all to a fiery eternal torment, and there's nothing you can do about it. You know, I, I know you want to believe in me, but I didn't choose you. So you're going to have to go burn in hell. And there's nothing, even if you wanted to be saved, you can't because I did not choose you. you you're going to have to go burn in hell. This is what the limited atonement doctrine of hyper-Calvinism teaches. But they will, they will just fire back with the straw man argument, Oh, you just don't understand Calvinism. You just don't understand Calvinism. Oh, I understand it. That because what it specifically is doing is it's taking the great grace of God and like Jesus said to the Pharisees, you, you're, you're, you're sealing up the gates of heaven. You're deliberately restricting it. You're deliberately refusing it from, from the people and saying God will only save a special, special select chosen elect. And he did not atone for the whole world like the Bible flat out says. Let's take a look at it. Does the Bible flat out say it? <laughs> Actually, yes, it does. But what we want to do, because they'll say, well, no, because that's not what that verse means. Because we see in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. Please turn over to 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. Now, if you read 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, it says, and he is the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation just literally means atonement. And he is the atonement for our sins. Okay, who is he talking? This is, this is John talking to saints, right? This is John talking to saints. And he is the atonement for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That's what the Bible flat out says. But what the Calvinist will do, that what Calvinism, I should say, what Calvinism does, is it comes in here and it says, no, 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 you're not reading it right. No, no, what it is is that he's the atonement for our sins and not for, for ours, just the specific, you know, me, John, not for mine only, but also for the sins of the whole world of the elect. And this, that's what they do. They always tack on of the elect. For God so loved the elect, that he gave his only begotten son for the elect, that whosoever of the elect would believe on him will not perish, but have everlasting life. They, they, this is what they do. Doesn't the Bible actually, doesn't God in the Bible and Revelation actually warn about adding to the word of God? But that's what they do. But let's actually put this one to rest. What, what does the Bible actually say regarding this? Let's take a look. Now, 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, and he is the atonement for our sins, and not for ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. Now, if we take a look at the world, word world, you see, this is where we have to understand a bit of the intent of the writing. You see, there's what's called uh, words, terms called limited specifics. 
limited specifics where the actual definition of the words and the terms when you do a study on it are actually uh, designating to a specific group this group here where uh, on the other hand there's what's called general all-inclusives where it's not a it's it's not a term or word designated to a limited group but rather it's a word a term that's given to a, a generally unto all meaning everyone literally as everyone would mean everyone but if we take a look at this uh, what the Bible says in 1 John 2, 2, the word world, but for also for the sins of the whole world, the word world in the Greek is cosmos. The cosmos, the, the world, the universe, circle of earth, the inhabitants of the earth, all men of uh, 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 the human family, literally meaning everyone in the whole world. That's literally what this means. That when you actually do a Bible study, which the they say of the hyper-Calvinism uh, movement, they say that they study the scriptures and they study it all. Well, they clearly don't. They study the catechisms and the commentaries of their religious persuasion. They don't study the Bible alone. They tout sola scriptura, but they don't believe it. They don't believe sola scriptura, because if they did, they wouldn't hold to such absolute, utter, absurd nonsense like the limited atonement view of the tulip theory. Limited atonement, unconditional election is heresy because it literally contradicts the word of God. It completely rewrites the gospel narrative. It completely changes the very work of the cross. It does. The word world in 1 John 2, 2 literally means cosmos. They'll say, well, the cosmos of the elect. <laughs> oh, goodness sakes. Let's, let's go over, let's take a look at another one. Let's actually go back go back to the crux of the whole thing. Let's go to John 3.16. Let's go to John 3.16. Let's actually put this one to rest. For God so loved the world of the elect. Let's actually take a look. The Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 16. Let's take a look. Now, the scriptures are written in the Old Testament, Hebrew, New Testament, Greek. So let's actually go back and take a look at what what it is that God was saying in the original language of the original manuscripts when he originally gave it in the Greek. Let's take a look. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. What does world mean? Oh, it means cosmos. It means the entire planet and everyone in it. For God so loved the entire planet and everybody in it that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever well whosoever of the elect let's see what does whosoever mean it means pass individually each every any all the whole everyone all things everything collectively of all all any every the whole of all you mean it doesn't designate a limited specific group it's actually given as a general all-inclusive yep 
Yep. For God so loved the whole world, not just the elect. Because the idea of unconditional election, according to the hyper-Calvinist idea, is that God specifically elected this group that I'm only going to save you, and he specifically created. Now, please understand this, folks. I'm not just saying this. Do the study. Do the study yourself. The very doctrine of limited atonement, unconditional election actually teaches, in a nutshell, when you blow away all the fluff and feathers and all the, the fancy language and mind games, word games that they play to try to water down a bit so it's, it doesn't look as dark and dreary as it actually is, they try to they try to cool down the fire a bit on this one because they know a lot of people think it's stupid. But when you take a look at the unconditional election doctrine and limited atonement, it's because they, they say what it says is that God specifically created, that God intended, God desired, God actually willed. That, that, that he would save only this specific group and all the rest of humanity, God wanted, willed them to burn in hell. That he does not want to save them. He did not atone for them. He does not love them. He specifically created them to be hellfire fodder. And they'll say, well, you just don't understand Calvinism. Oh, I understand it. Oh, I understand it, and I'm blowing the lid off of it because this is what they're saying. You see, it's it's not enough that there are other religions out there that actually corrupt the grace and teach false, false works-based stuff, but within the realm of born-again Christianity itself, there is this group of individuals that are corrupting the very grace of God and making the grace of God of none effect. Because they're saying that God will only give his grace to only a specific group. That's not grace. That's not grace. If grace is specifically restricted and only given to a specific group, that's not grace. Grace is unmerited. Grace is open unto all. Grace is given to all. That's what the word of God says. That's what the Word of God says. But let's take a look at some more. You see, God does not, God categorically does not choose some to heaven and others he desires and wills and wants them to go to hell. That God is a monster. That kind of God is a monster and is not the God of the Bible. That is not the God of the Bible. Let's prove it. Let's prove it. The Calvinistic teaching of limited atonement is absolute heresy. If one single verse of scripture remotely contradicts an opinion, doctrine, teaching, or ideology, then those are wrong and scripture is true. 1 John 2, 2 flat out says that Christ atoned for the sins of the whole world. And we looked at it and yes, it means whole world, everyone in it. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world, which means the same thing. Scripture also states, and here's the other one. This is my, my one big mic drop argument of this. 2 Peter 3.9. In 2 Peter 3.9, let's actually take a look at it. 
in second peter chapter 3 verse 9 The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some, some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Not willing that any should perish. Not willing that any should perish. And they say, well, that's any of the elect. That's not what it means. If you actually go and do an actual real study on 2 Peter 3, 9, and take a look at the word any, and you take, take a look at the word world, take a look at the word all, take a look at the word whosoever in these other verses, in 2 Peter 3, 9, it means general, all-inclusive. It is not a limited, specific term. They are literally rewriting the very words of the Bible to fit the doctrines of Calvin. They're literally rewriting the word of God to fit the, the, the annals, the writings, the catechisms, the creeds of Calvinism, the ideologies of men. When the Bible says God's not willing that any should perish, so therefore, what we can take from this, if God is not willing that any should perish, if God specifically wanted, desired, willed individuals to burn in hell, he is willing that some should perish then. And this verse is a lie. If limited atonement, unconditional election is true, this verse is a lie. God's a liar. He didn't preserve his word. Go eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die. There's no God. See that? If there's a single contradiction, especially a, 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 on a passage that denotes uh, regarding our salvation, we got a serious problem in our faith then, folks. Then God is a liar because God is willing that some should perish, but it says right here that he's not. That if God actually does desire some to burn in hell, then he is willing that some should perish. But the Bible says God's not willing that any should perish. But let's take a look at this. Let's actually really hammer this one down. That's 2 Peter 3, 9. Let's take a look at it. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Not willing that any. Phonetic tis means a certain, a certain one, some, sometime, a while. Uh some of any person or object he man uh, thing meaning whosoever whatever whosoever whomever that's what this means that not willing that any of any individual of any person anywhere whoever whatever they are anyone that's literally what this means that's literally what this means but, but that that all pass, each, every, any, all, the whole, everyone, all things, everything of all types. It's what this means. So therefore, when you go to the actual, the actual definitions of the meanings of the words on the page, it does not fit. It does not work. It does not click. With the limited atonement, unconditional election doctrine. Unconditional election, limited atonement, 
contradicts the word of God, rewrites scripture, changes the cross, changes Christ, changes the atonement of Jesus Christ, and changes the very core of grace. Now, we hammer on other religions all the time, but I'm telling you today that unconditional election limited atonement is changing Christianity at its core and turning it into another religion. A different Jesus, a different God, a God that does not love the whole world, like the Bible says, a God that is willing that some should perish, unlike what the Bible says, that the God of hyper-Calvinism is not the God of the Bible. At the very core of what, what they teach here, unconditional election limited atonement is absolute blasphemous heresy. You need to understand that. That when Christ went to the cross, he went to the cross because he so loved the world, everyone in it. Not just a special select chosen elect. That's a bunch of absolute nonsense. That's a different Jesus. A God that also in the hyper-Calvinistic model, just FYI, if you're not one of the pre-selected elected individuals, then that, that also by that model, infant damnation is also part of this a baby in the womb if a baby in the womb dies it will burn in hell if it's not one of the special select chosen elect there's no mercy there's no grace there's no understanding of that in the hyper calvinistic model it's absolutely despicable how they twist and change and redefine the bible linguistic theft coupled with cognitive dissonance where they they will not listen to any of this. they will not accept what the bible says on the pages they have to take the bible and they run to john calvin and all of the calvinistic writings all these other authors and they see okay what do you have to say what does this mean instead of taking what they say and doing the inverse with the bible they interpret the bible through the lens of other writers they do not interpret the writers through the lens of the Bible. They stay tout sola scriptura, but they don't believe it. They don't hold it. They don't accept it. I'm telling you, do the study. Do the study. But wait, let's let's see what does scripture have to say on this. For example, 2 Peter 3.9, God is not willing that any should perish. However, if God does appoint some to damnation, then he is willing that some should perish and then god's a liar the words world all whosoever any in the actual meaning of those words in the scriptures according to the greek and hebrew are what's called general all inclusives not limited specifics you actually have to monkey with the word of god and change the meanings of the actual words of scripture to make unconditional election limited atonement of calvinism work you will not find one single verse that says anything about christ not being the atonement for the whole world and in fact in fact here's a few verses that actually outright directly contradict the false ideology of limited atonement unconditional election First John 2, 2. We already went over that. He used the propitiation for our sins and not for ours, but only for the sins of the whole world. Hebrews 2, 9. Hebrews 2, 9.
But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Now they, they say, well, that, are you saying that you're a universalist then, that, that when Jesus died on the cross, that, that, ev that everyone's going to get saved? No, I don't believe that. But the fact that he did die on the cross, he did pay the atonement atoning price, and he made it available for anyone. That anyone and everyone could be saved who comes and believes on the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the, the twisted ideology of the hyper-Calvinistic mind is that when you talk about atonement, that Christ died on the cross because these ones were predestined to be saved. So anyone who is saved was predestined to be, and they couldn't go to hell in the first place, that they were ne never in danger of condemnation or judgment, that Jesus only died for those who were pre-saved. That's more or less the idea. That's not what scripture teaches. That Jesus died on the cross and made the way available, is what the word of God teaches. It's available unto all. That the door is open unto all. That anyone can come to this door and enter in and, and be saved. That's what the word of God teaches. But they literally change the very way how you're saved. Because you don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. No, God just chooses you and elects you to salvation. You don't even have to believe. No, well, you don't understand Calvinism. Oh, I understand it. Because that's literally what they're saying. And they don't want you to know that until you get brainwashed by Calvin. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 to 15. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then were all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. He did this for all. He died for all, because he so loved all. Because he, he's not willing that any should perish. But he calls all men everywhere to repent. Acts 17.30 Acts 17.30 And the times of this ignorance God winked at. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. And this all everywhere is a general all-inclusive. Which means literally any, all, whosoever of the world. It's not a limited specific. You don't understand Calvinism. You don't understand the Bible. Isaiah 53, 6. Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have, and have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. That he paid the, the price for sin for every man. Is what the word of God says. John 1, 29. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world, of the elect. Titus 2.11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men of the elect. First John 4.14, And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And word world means the whole world and everyone in it. 1st Timothy 1st Timothy 4:10 For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the savior of all men especially of those that believe. You see the distinction here that he is the savior of the whole world. He's 
the only way of salvation. He's the only name that is named the name above all names at whose name every knee will bow. He's the only name, the only way, the only truth, the only life. He's the Savior of the whole world. Especially of those that believe. And, and uh, that he made it open unto all that anyone in the world. He's the Savior of the world. Of the whole, he's the only way of salvation that anyone in the world that does does believe he truly is their savior. That's what that means. Like, oh, no, no, it's only of it's limited unconditional election and blah blah blah. First Timothy two four. First Timothy two four. Who will have all men to be saved? Because God's not willing that any should perish. Who will have? Who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth? This is the desire, the heart of God. He wants all to be saved. John 6, 51. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. If anyone eats of this bread, anyone drinks of this water, if anyone believes in my name, if anyone comes to me, I'll no wise cast out. It's open unto all. But unconditional election, limited atonement, slams the door shut in the face of the world and says, oh no, God doesn't love. No, no, there is, there, 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 God actually has predestined you to burn in hell. That we're the special elite, we're the elected, we're the special ones. God chose me, he didn't choose you. God so loves me, you were predestined to burn in hell. God actually wants you to be hellfire fire. This is his will, and he delights in this because this is his will. They actually teach this. That this is his will. God delights in his will, and his will is that, that, that the majority of humanity will burn in hell to the glory of God. I'm not even kidding. I'm not even kidding. This is what hyper-Calvinism actually teaches. This is evil, folks. This is evil. That's a monster. That is not the God of the Bible. That is not the God of the Scriptures. Hyper-Calvinism is not born-again Christianity. It is a twisted cult. It's a cult because they say you can't understand the bible unless you read it through the lens of our books our catechisms creeds and commentaries it is a quasi christian cult it's a cult within born again christianity that that i'm not saying calvinists aren't christians i'm saying they're deceived into a cult logic they believe the gospel the gospel that jesus christ came into the world to save us he went to the cross shed his blood died buried rose again third day and then by grace through faith we're saved they believe that absolutely they believe that they're i'm not saying they're not christians what i'm saying is they are twisting twisting the scriptures and are being deceived and deluded by the crazed ideologies of john calvin and all these others that is not what the bible teaches it is not you need to read the bible through the lens of the Bible and believe what the scriptures say, not through the lens of other writers. Because otherwise, you're going to start redefining the Word of God, altering, twisting, monkeying with, changing the very scriptures to fit the ideologies of men. And that's what they are the ideologies of men. Because as we see, for example, the other aspect of hyper Calvinism, and we've gone over this, is irresistible grace. That when God 
does choose to save you, you are literally incapable of resisting the grace of God. That he that he grabs you by the scruff of the neck and drags you kicking and screaming into the kingdom of heaven if he so wills and there's no way out of it. You can't even deny it. Hebrews 6, 4 to 6, flat out contradicts that. Hebrews 6, 4 to 6 is not talking about people losing salvation. Hebrews 6, 4 to 6 is literally talking about unsaved people being enlightened to the gospel, shown the grace of God. They have the, the taste of, the light of, the glimpse of, the knowledge of, and they resist it. Hebrews 6, 4 to 6 directly contradicts irresistible grace doctrine. So as we see, it, the, the hyper-Calvinistic model is flat out based on misunderstandings, twistings, and alterings of the scriptures. It's based on contradictions and false ideologies. Hyper-Calvinism is not biblical. It contradicts the word of God, rewrites scripture, linguistic theft, cognitive dissonance, altering of, uh, of the God of the Bible, the whole rest of it, the whole nine yards. The word of God flat out says the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And what does that mean? What it flat out says. When the Bible says all, it means all. It's a general all-inclusive, not a limit, uh, limited specific. When it says world, it means general all-inclusive. When it says any, it's a general all-inclusive. When it says whosoever, it means general all-inclusive. What it says, what it means. That when you grab the Bible by itself all alone and you just let what it says on the pages tell you and you read it, for God so loved the world, what does that mean? Everyone in it. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, said God so loved the world, so it's whosoever of the whole world, anybody in the world, that God made the way available to everyone. And that's The word of God explains itself. The word of God explains itself. Seriously. You literally have to monkey with the word of God to make hyper-Calvinism work. It's insane. Absolutely insane what happens when you change the word of God and you start playing games with it. When you start bringing in catechisms, creeds, commentaries, and councils as the interpreters of the word of God. Because, let alone, what if you know, just hypothetically speaking, what if, what if those men were wrong? What if, what if they had a wrong idea? What if they were, they were mistaken? You are letting fallible men who are not apostles, are not the writers of scripture, are not the dictators of the doctrine of God. You are letting these fallible men interpret the word of God for you. And you're literally basing your whole premise of Christianity off of the views and ideologies of fallible men. Well, you, you clearly aren't one of the chosen then. <laughs> You're not as enlightened as we are. We're the special ones. <laughs> Again, folks, please understand I am not hating on Calvinists. I don't hate Calvinists. I hate Calvinism, the ideology, because it contradicts the word of God. It contradicts the word of God. I am not saying, please do not twist my words. I am not saying that Calvinists are not Christians. I am not saying that. What makes you a Christian is the gospel of Jesus Christ. If they believe that the specific details 
of the gospel of Jesus Christ according to scripture, uh, the deity of Christ, the work of Christ on the cross specifically, his death, shedding of blood, his burial and resurrection. If they believe that by grace through faith, they're saved. Born again saved, regardless of what other weird ideas they might have. What I'm talking about is the after effect of then restricting it. Restricting the gospel is heresy. Restricting it, saying that God restricted it. God re pulled it back, restrained it, and, and he only makes it available to a specific select chosen elect group. Now, let's just take a look now at some of the views here regarding the, the idea of the elect. Because this is a, a part of the great basis of the hyper-Calvinistic model. If you, want to, if you want to knock down their whole house of cards of the hyper-Calvinistic views and ideologies, you need to attack limited atonement. The moment you tear down limited atonement, the whole, the whole house of cards come down. You, you kick, the whole thing's built on the stool of limited atonement. Kick out that stool, the whole thing falls. Let's take a look here. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Now, talking about the grace of God, and back up in verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship. He made us, he's the potter, we're the clay. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in the next. See, we're preordained. No, that's not what it says. We're not, we're not preordained. We are not. No, no person is. No person is preordained. Read it again. Ephesians 2.10. Read it again. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, right? Unto good works. Unto good works. Which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Them. The good works. Ordained the good works. He ordained the good works that we should walk in them christ likeness the righteousness of god the way of salvation and discipleship afterwards the fellowship with the lord god ordained the good works that we should walk in them he created us to go into that to follow in that in the fellowship of the lord do you see that do you see do you see that but in their minds what they do they make ephesians 2 10 about them the individuals, the person. But Ephesians 2.10 is talking about the good works. Not the person. Do you see that? Please tell me you see that. Please tell me you see this. For we, of course, those that believe are his work. He made us who we are. It's all through his work that we're born again saved. Yeah, we're created in Christ Jesus. Absolutely. For what purpose? The good works. Which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Those that believe should walk in the path of righteousness in fellowship with the Lord. Because our sins have caused us to be separated from God. And God desires that we come back in fellowship with him and walk in him. He ordained the means, the way to walk in fellowship. 
It's not saying that he has preordained individuals. Let's go to Romans 8, 29. Now, people say, well, well, what about the foreknowledge of God that God does know? God is infinite. He's outside of time. Time is not beholden on him. Of course, absolutely. God knows literally everything. All because that God does know who is going to get saved. That does not. You can't make that leap. You can't make that leap of going from where God does know who's going to get saved to meaning that that. That means he, he only saved them. He only atoned for them. That, that, that's just a bunch of nonsense. How in all that is holy do you make that connection? That because God does know that that means that, that, that he only atoned for them. That, that's a bunch of nonsense. That doesn't fit. That narrative contradicts the word of God. But God does know, he does see, God is all-knowing, for whom he did foreknow, he does know who's going to get saved, but foreknowledge is not intent. You understand? Foreknowledge, knowing who is going to get saved, doesn't mean that he only saved them. No, because the Bible flat out says if we looked at it, he did make it open unto all. So you see. But though Romans 8.29, for whom he did foreknow, those that 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 were going to believe on him, as we saw in Ephesians 2.10 about ordaining the way of righteousness, a means of walking in fellowship, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. Like, see, see, well, we're predestinated. No. Keep reading. Please keep reading. He also did predestinate to be conformed. He predestined the means, the way of conformation. Look at that. Read it again. Look at it. Open your Bible. Take a look at this. Romans 8, 29. For whom he did for no, he did. He also did predestinate to be conformed. The good works. See? He did predestinate to be conformed to the image. Christ-likeness. He predestined the means of Christ-likeness. The walking of Christ-likeness. The good works. He didn't predestinate you. He didn't predestinate me. He did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So you see what happens that when they, these people are taking the writings and the workings of fallible men and using that, using their writings of their elitist, special select, chosen elect, elitist group ideology, they take that, overlay it over the Bible, and they interpret the Bible through the lens of this elitist ideology of I'm the predestined one. I'm elect of god because you 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 do realize the other flaw of that ideology right you do understand what this means because the bible says all are falling away well all of the non-elect well it, all are falling away all have become corrupt there's none that doeth good no not one all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags that all have sinned and come short of the glory of god right 
That's what the Bible flat out says. Right? Right? Well, if I'm fallen away, separated because of my sins, if I'm a sinner, then that means as the Bible, the Word of God, the Scriptures flat out teaches that I'm a sinner in danger of hell. But if I'm one of the special select chosen elect, and I'm elect of God, predestined of God, preordained of God, pre-elected by God, then that by definition means then that I'm incapable of the judgment, that even though I'm a sinner, unsaved, an enemy of God, child of the devil, an heir of hell, I, I'm literally incapable of going to hell. I can't go to hell. I'm not in danger of the judgment. That, that the wrath of God is not upon me, even though I'm a sinner, unsaved, separated from God. And so, therefore, the Bible then is in massive error and contradiction because it says that all are in danger. That if you have not believed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're unsaved and you're on your way to hell. Well, unless you're one of the special select chosen elect, and even though you haven't believed, you're not in danger of hell. Um, can someone please show me how that mind game works without contradicting the bible because <clears throat> the word of god does not say persons are predestinated elected it says the means of salvation, the means of righteousness, the way of good works of Christ are predestined and ordained of God. And here's the other thing. Okay, because what the Bible talks about, about how we're elected to do the good works of Christ, we're elected to do the good works of Christ. Hold up. Hold up. When are you elect of God? To do the works of Christ. When are you elect of God? Before salvation? Or after salvation? You see the hyper-Calvinistic model. Flat out teaches you're elect of God before salvation. Please. Book chapter verse. Please show me how that works. That doesn't work. That makes no sense. That makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. That, that's a bunch of nonsense. Because what happens, what it comes down to, is the idea of the Calvinistic idea, the view, uh, is that you're regenerated before salvation. That God, God elects you before the foundation of the world, you're, uh, you are chosen. You are chosen. Not the good works. You specifically. God's like, uh, I want to save you. The rest of you go burn in hell. I want to save you. The rest of you can go burn in hell. That's leany, meeny, miny, mo to which place shall you go. That's literally what that is. But that God chose you and regenerated you, preordained you, pre-saved you, before you even called upon the Lord, before you even believed, 
and he regenerated you before salvation. Because in Calvinism, how should they believe if they have not been regenerated? But biblical born-again Christianity, according to the Word of God, actually says, how shall they believe if they have not heard? Uh, how will they hear without a preacher? That we hear the truth, we, and then our eyes are open to the truth, and we're shown the truth, and then we believe on the truth, and then God comes upon you, washes you, regenerates you. It says in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, that, that the Spirit of God washes you, regenerates you. When you believe, when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, Spirit of God comes upon you, cleanses you, seals you, regenerates you. Not before salvation. They are literally putting the cart before the horse. Calvinism literally puts the cart before the horse. They change up the order. They change up grace. Calvinism changes up the very work of the cross. It changes the very God of the Bible. Now, there's some other things we could get into, like the very the very teaching, according to hyper-Calvinism, R.C. Sproul, John MacArthur, John Piper, and all the rest of them, uh, Steve Lawson, all these others, and John Calvin and Augustine, literally teach, and I'm not kidding, that God created and ordained and willed sin. I'm just saying, there's just something else just to throw in the, you know, on the back of that camel. Just, just one other little thing. I'm just saying, not, not even kidding. Go look it up. Go do the study. Go see it for yourself. It's insane. Faster, faster, run. We must tell everyone the good news that Jesus may or may not have actually died for their sins. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's what hyper-Calvinism teaches. Hyper-Calvinistic gospel is not good news. Is not good news. Seriously. Well, you just don't understand Calvinism. No, I do understand it. I've read it. I've studied it. I've looked into it. I've debated Calvinists, questioned Calvinists. I, I've looked into the teachings. I've listened to the teachings. All this, this is what they say, what they, what they teach, and this is what the Bible says. This is what the Bible says. This right here, this, this funny meme right here. Faster, we must tell everyone the good news that Jesus may or may not have died for their sins. That is hyper-Calvinism. That is not what the Bible teaches. God says, I do not care one iota what other men say, what other books say. I do not care what the fathers of the Reformation have said. They're not apostles. They are not the writers of Scripture. They are not authority. The Word of God is the final authority. Sola Scriptura means Bible alone. Through, uh, that scripture interprets scripture. The scriptures interpret the scriptures. The Holy Spirit is the interpreter. The scriptures explain itself. What it says is what it means. And when you monkey with the word of God to alter it to fit the ideologies of man, you've created a cult. You've created a cult. And Calvinism is a cult. And you cannot, you cannot change my mind on that. You cannot. It's a cult. 
one of the first red flags of a cult is that you can't understand the Bible all alone. You have to have all of our books to understand it. That is the first red flag of a cult. And what, what does hyper-Calvinism do? You can't understand the Bible alone. You've got to have all of our books and our writers and our founding fathers and all of our all the Reformation doctrine, all this stuff to understand it. In theory, no different than the Catholic Church. Because the Bible is confusing to read all alone. You've got to have our books to understand it. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. God says he so loved the world and world is not a limited specific it's a general all-inclusive do the study yourself go read it study it look it up do the word studies all the rest of it look at the meanings of the words and look at the context of what this says that you cannot you cannot you cannot you cannot take what it says in the bible and make it fit with the ideologies of unconditional election limited atonement. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. You have to change the Bible, alter the meanings of the words, monkey with the scriptures to make it fit. Seriously. It falls under the under the header of quotation marks Christian cult. That they are Christians. But they've created a cult within Christianity. A cult of elitism. It's just, it's insane what they've done. Now again, I just want to make sure you understand. Though I get worked up on regarding what we're talking about, I get worked up against the ideology. I do not hate Calvinists. Please do not twist my words and misrepresent me. I do not hate Calvinists. I have a lot of Calvinist friends. I am absolutely against the ideology of Calvinism. Just as John Wesley and Whitfield were best friends. But one was a Calvinist, one was an Armenian. And they got along, worked together, they were best friends. They had a lot of heated arguments. A lot of heated fights and everything. But they were best friends. All because we may disagree on some ideologies and some things... That doesn't mean that we're not brothers or sisters in Christ. I do not hate persons. I do not hate individuals. Please understand that. So don't misrepresent me saying that I hate Calvinists. I do not. I will I will absolutely denounce any accusations that I hate Calvinists. I dislike, I hate Calvinism. Because it is a false ideology, according to what I've seen in the studies of Scripture and the Word of God alone, that when you study the Word of God alone, Calvinism contradicts the Word of God. It does. We must understand that the distinction of the difference between the person and ideologies, where all because you're against an ideology, does not mean that you hate the persons involved with it. That is a false uh, representation of the of that line we must understand the distinction between person and ideology okay i absolutely am against calvinism and no all because i'm against calvinism does not mean i'm an armenian i am not an armenian i do not hold to armenian ideology and all that kind of thing that you do understand you could be a christian and not have to adopt one of these camps you do understand you can be a christian and not have to align with all of the different cult camps within Christianity. 
You do know you can be a born-again Christian and not have to adopt a denominational distinctive. You do know that, right? Some say I'm of Paul, some say I'm of Cephas, some say I'm of Apollos. Are we not all one under Christ? Stop stop being that an adopter of clanism. Stop just stop that. We're born again Christians. And we use the word of God alone, the word of God, the scriptures are our creed, the scriptures are our catechism, the scriptures are our commentary, the scriptures are our law, our authority, nothing else. We we are not Baptists or Presbyterians or whatever else. We are born again Christians and we hold to the word of God. No person is the authority of us. No person is the interpreter of scripture. The word of God is. Word of God, the Holy Spirit is all you need in the name of the Lord God, Jesus Christ, by grace, to faith, by belief alone of the grace of God that's given to all men of the whole world, that whosoever would believe can be saved, because God is not willing that any should perish. That's what the Word of God says. Amen. And I challenge anyone. I'm open to the challenge. If you can come to me and show me from the word of God without contradicting any other set point in scripture, you can actually show me by scripture, walk me through without contradicting the, the narrative, without contradicting the context, without contradicting the actual meaning of the words, and you can prove to me by scripture alone that limited atonement is biblical, I will recant everything that I just said and I will adopt that, uh, that teaching. Good, but good luck with that. Because I will not bow to any other writing, any other source, unless you can convince me by scripture. My conscience is held captive by the word of God. Hyper-Calvinism is not Christianity. But unfortunately, Christianity has adopted hyper-Calvinism as doctrine. Just some thoughts. But if we go back to Titus chapter 2, Titus chapter 2, for the grace of God, now what is grace? The unmerited favor of God, that I didn't merit it, I didn't earn it, it's not a reward, I don't deserve it, but he gave it to me anyways because he so loved me, that the grace of God, the unmerited favor of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men, hath appeared to all men. Not, it does not say has appeared to a, a specific group of people. It says all men, and all means all. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but of everlasting life because one last little point and then we'll wrap this up one last point if you would indulge me in this john chapter 3 because because if the gospel of jesus christ if the atoning work of jesus christ please 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 hear me out if the atoning work of jesus christ was actually limited, restrained, restricted to only a specific select chosen elect group and not done and opened unto the whole world, 
then John 3.18 is a lie. Then, then, then John 3.17 is a lie. Because we take a look for God so loved the world. Let's let's actually read it. According in the in the actual ideology of Calvinism. Let's just, for for God so loved the world of the elect, that he gave his only begotten son to the elect. That whosoever of the elect believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God, for God sent his son into the world to condemn the world. Because if he restricted it, if it was limited to only a specific select chosen elect group, then God is willing that some should perish and that he did send his son into the world to condemn the world. Because if it's not open unto all, then he has specifically condemned them and there's no salvation for them. Then he did pre-condemn them. Then John 3, 17 is a lie. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. It's what it says. He that believeth on him is not condemned. Whoever believes on him, but he that believeth not. Do you see personal choice? But what hyper-Calvinism does is they literally strip away that free will. The free will is a lie. Free will does not exist. You have no free will. Free will does not exist. We are literally just robots carrying out pre-programming. That God has already predetermined. I want this group to go to hell and I want this group to be saved. We are literally robots carrying out a pre-programming. We have no free will. If that's the case, then God's a liar here on the pages because, because otherwise he did condemn us. Pre-condemn us. It says he that believes on him is not condemned. He that believeth not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. But what if they do believe? Then they're not condemned. Well, free will is a lie. But then if that's the case, then why did Joshua say to the people, choose you this day whom you will serve? Why would he say, choose you this day whom you will serve if you can't choose, if you have no free will? Then why, then why all down through Scripture do we see choice? Why do we see this? You have to alter, monkey, twist the word of God to make the ideologies of men, of the doctrines of men, of hyper-Calvinism work. Hyper-Calvinism is the doctrines of men, not the doctrines of God. Seriously. I challenge you to prove me wrong. I challenge you. Because this is, this is what you're saying. This is, this is what's happening. But the Word of God does not say that. What the Word of God actually does say in John 3.36, John 3.36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. The wrath of God abides on those who are condemned in their sins. But if you, but if these ones would would uh, would listen to the calling of the Lord, and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, they are not condemned. There is now therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. 
believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You believe on the Lord Jesus. Why, why, why? If you have no free will, if we have no free will and everything's preordained, then why, why did the apostle Paul say to the jailer and the jailer says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Nothing. You can't. God has to choose you. You just have to hope that God will choose you. Then why did Paul say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, if there's no free will, if you can't make a choice? If you're not the one that believes, if you can't believe and it's all preordained all this, then why did Paul say that to the jailer? Because hyper-Calvinism teaches you have no, no ability, you have no choice, you have no free will, everything's preordained, you just have to hope that God will choose you. What must I do to be saved? Nothing. You just have to hope God chooses you. Mic drop. Okay. The reason I get so worked up about it is because I get worked up about the gospel of Jesus Christ and I take offense against anything that would dare alter the gospel of my Lord Jesus Christ. He is the atonement for the whole world because he so loved the world. He's not willing that any should perish, but he makes a way of escape. That, that whosoever believes in him shall, shall not perish but everlasting life. He opened it unto all that any can be saved. That's what he says. And he cannot lie. And how dare anyone alter and change the very gospel of the Lord God Jesus Christ to fit the ideologies of men? That's despicable. Absolutely despicable. <laughs> it's just unbelievable how arrogant you have to get to elevate fallible men to the level of apostles and writings of scripture and you would alter the very word of god it's unbelievable but that's that's what it is folks it's what it is you can say whatever you want you can make all the accusations you want my 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 skin's thick i can bear it I might, my shoulders are broad enough, I can carry it, I don't care, you can call me whatever you want, you say whatever you want, curse me all you, whatever you want, which I have Calvinists do to me all the time. I, I don't care what you say, you cannot, I, I challenge you, I challenge you to do a study in the Bible, I challenge you, which I, I doubt you will be able to, to all, to all those who hold to the hyper-Calvinistic model, I challenge you to put your arm on the table, sweep all of the other writings and books and stuff off the table, just set only the Bible down and study only the Bible. Not not bring up any of the teachings, any of the ideologies of any other person, just, just the Bible, just the words and the pages. I challenge you to take only the scriptures and study only the scriptures, studying only the meanings of the words of scripture. And I challenge you to try to, try to support, try to validate hyper-Calvinism. I know you won't. Many of you won't. Because you don't want your bubble to burst. You don't want your elitist doctrine to fall apart. You don't want to say that you were wrong. Many of you won't because you don't want to say that you were wrong. I come today to say this because I used to be a Calvinist. I used to, I used to hold to it. I used to believe it. I used to teach it. And then, and then I just studied the Bible. And then I just studied the Bible. I was wrong. Calvinism contradicts 
the Word of God. Absolutely does. When you, when you elevate the doctrines of men, you alter the Word of God. There you go. Let God be true and every man a liar. But again, don't take my words for it. Do the study yourself. Take all these things, search it out yourself. Do the study yourself. I challenge you. I, I, I urge you to do that. I urge you. Everyone, even if you don't adhere to the Calvinistic model, even if you don't, do the study. Arm yourself. Look at it. See it for yourself. Do the research. Know what the Word of God actually teaches. Be a Berean. Be a Berean. Do the due diligence, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little, all through the scriptures. Search the scriptures. And therein you shall find salvation. What the Bible says. Stop, stop going to the catechisms, creeds, and commentaries, and councils. Stop going to, to men's confessions of what they believe and what they hold as, as the doctrinal truth. That is not, brush it all aside, throw it out the window, knock it off the table and set just the Bible down. Search just the word of God. Because here's something else. I know I say one more thing. Hey, but I'm a preacher. I always say one more point. So one more, one more thing. Who would want you to not hold to only the Bible as authority? Who, who would say you can't? just search the Bible. You have to read and study. You have to go to all these others. Who would say you can't just use the Bible alone? Certainly not God. Yay. Has God truly said? There you go. Just some thoughts. Now, <clears throat> got that off my chest. Okay, so what can we learn from this? Well, because you say you're a Christian doesn't mean you have everything wired up. Now, I'm not saying everybody's perfect. I'm not saying saying that that uh, I hold all the answers. I'm not saying that. I make mistakes and all this kind of thing. And that's why I say hold me accountable. Nobody's perfect. Everyone has differing views, different ideas, and all these things. And that... Uh, Calvinism is not the gospel. Okay? Calvinism is not the gospel. And people say, well, well, if you're so against Calvinism, then why do you quote Calvinists? I get that all the time. People always say that all the time. You know why? Because Calvinism is not the gospel. The gospel is the gospel. What makes you a Christian? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, the deity of Christ, the work of Christ, specifically of his death, shedding of blood, his burial, his resurrection. That's what saves you. That's what makes you a Christian, not Calvinism. I quote people like Spurgeon, Tozer, Mueller, and all these others that, that, that uh, technically would identify as Calvinists because they're born-again Christians. They're born-again Christians. I don't agree with some of the Calvinistic teachings specifically that they may have, but I agree with all the other stuff because they're born-again Christians and they have great preaching, great teaching. And I, I put up a lot of their quotes because it's fantastic biblical stuff. 
All because someone's a Calvinist doesn't mean they're not a Christian. And I have actually fought with individuals who are so rabid against Calvinism that they actually would even say that Calvinists are not Christians. Well, that's nonsense. And, and on the record, if, if, if I have ever said that, <laughs> I take that back. I was massively wrong if I ever said that. The gospel makes you a Christian. The gospel is the gospel. Calvinism is not the gospel. I quote Calvinists because they're brothers and sisters in Christ and they have some fantastic stuff. Like Spurgeon is a fantastic preacher, but he's not the interpreter of the Bible. He's a brother in Christ. And he has, he has fantastic points that he makes once in a while that help us to think, that will cause us to go to the Bible and look that up and see what does the Word of God actually have to say on it. Does that make sense? All right, so we need to understand what does the Word of God actually teach on this. So there you go. Just some thoughts. Um, any other comments, questions, issues, insights before we wrap this up? Anything else at all before we wrap this up? I know I am absolutely going to get raked over the coals for this message today. And generally what happens is uh, tons and tons of people will fail to see the point and get all triggered and offended and will wind up leaving, unsubscribing, whatever else. Now look, again, I don't hate Calvinists. I'm against Calvinism. I do not say Calvinists are not Christians or any of that kind of thing. And again, if you want to get so worked up and defensive about your Calvinistic views, okay that's your choice you go do be have whatever you want all i'm saying is actually search your bible actually search the scriptures how is it wrong to say that please show me how is it wrong to say that and on another note if calvinism is true then why are you getting so mad at me was i not preordained to be this way And that's that. <clears throat> All right. So with that, wrap up there. Thank you so much for joining, folks. I hope this has given you something to think about. What happens when the word of God is not truly, truly your absolute final authority? What happens? You get all kinds of mixed up ideas, led astray in all kinds of different ways, all kinds of other views and teachings become authority to you when the word of God is not your absolute final authority. When you when you say sola scriptura, but you don't actually believe it, you don't actually hold it, you don't actually practice it. It's one thing to say you're a sola scriptura believer. It's another thing to actually practice that. Word of God, word of God alone, folks. It answers itself. You don't need the help of men. You don't need the teachings of men. What it says, what it means. So there you go. Hope this gives me something to think about. Hope this challenged you. Hope this is... Uh, stirred you up so with that if you appreciate these studies please give us a like as a thumbs up make sure you subscribe hit notification bell icon so you know we put up new videos and check out all our other videos we've got tons of other goodies and content tons of other uh, stuff there so please make sure you check it out and uh also uh, please make sure you check out our website christiancoffeetime.ca we have links to all our other platforms and goodies and uh, um a different playlist different studies of the bible uh, uh, links all our platforms we have free downloadable gospel tracks and, and uh, e-tracks e make sure you avail yourself to that get busy about the gospel of jesus christ because they need to hear the truth of the grace of god 
unto all men so that because god desires that all would believe so get it out there get busy all right so with that wrapped up there god bless you thanks so much for joining in god bless all those who love our lord god jesus christ god bless all those who love his holy word hope to see you again and as always if i don't see you again i'll see you in the sky god bless